Podwalkers, and welcome back to part two of our episode with Ant Waters. Um, this is Hobbsq. Uh, this is the Goblin Lore Podcast. And before we get into today's episode, uh, as, as many of you know, we ended last week's episode on a little bit of a cliffhanger, kind of just getting to the discussion of depression and depression within the art community. Uh, at least that's where we were leaving off when we last talked to you. So I wanted to kind of give a warning for today's episode before people get fully into it. Uh, I've said on kind of Twitter and some other places that this is probably one of the most emotional and raw episodes that we have done. And that is because uh, Ant himself talks about his experience with losing somebody to suicide. Uh, Once again, this is coming off the heels of Suicide Awareness Month. And one of the reasons that we wanted Ant on was to be able to discuss openly kind of all of his, you know, just what's what's happened to him in his life. And we just wanted to let people know that ahead of time. Uh, if, if you don't feel comfortable listening at this point, we completely understand. Uh, we also have resources for anybody having thoughts of suicide or self-harm in the show notes for the today's episode. We also wanted to just make sure that we are still paying attention to and thanking God, uh, the Grinding Coffee Company who has done so much for us and allowed us as a cast to kind of, you know, be able to do things like charity events, to be able to kind of offer prizes and support. So we just want to say thank you once again, uh, and then we'll send you back to the show. Thank you. Well, you, you know, Alex is kind of bringing us over to this anxiety piece to it. You know, it does kind of transition us to the other thing that Aunt, you and I talked a little bit about, you know, when we, we started talking about this, which is, you know, this show is a lot about kind of mental health and I've been very open with my own kind of depression and anxiety. And I know that talking about that, even within the field of psychology, it's often kind of, you know, it doesn't get talked about, right? Like prescribers or providers or therapists having mental health issues is something that's generally kind of skirted around, much much like most mental health is in our own community. Um, And when you and I were talking, you kind of were like, well, you know, like, as I would expect, there is mental health concerns, I am sure, in the art community. There are, um, but I want to back up for a second because some, because I want to touch directly on something that you were talking about. This is something that is um, very important to me. Um, my dad was a psychiatrist. And he worked in the Air Force for a number of years um, in the capacity of a a psychiatrist. And then he uh, mustered out and started his career as a a psychiatrist. Um, And then in the winter of of 1976, he committed suicide. And mom, I found out later, had tried to talk to him because he had gone over the space of, of a little over a year um, from, from being, you know, run a little ragged, but okay, um, to deeply depressed. Uh, he, there was some land, a little patch of land we owned, and dad would just go out there and go wandering. He would go, quote unquote, duck hunting on the Platte River, never bring back a duck. He was just going there to be by himself and mom confronted him at one point and said, you know, look, you are a psychiatrist. You ought to know that you need help. You need to go and get help. 
And his response was, I can't. Because at the time, dad was, if I'm, if I've got my story right, if I remember it right, dad was the head of the psychiatric association for part of the Midwest. Uh, there was an organization that he, he was the, he was the head of, and he told her, I can't go get help. If I get help, everyone is going to know it's going to get out. And that is going to be the end of my career. Um, just as a, a I, I want to get this out right away. Um, speaking as uh, somebody who has lost a parent to suicide, anyone who's listening to this, um, who is, is a parent and is considering suicide, please don't. Um, you are desperately needed. You are not nearly as broken as you believe yourself to be. You're, you are not broken at all. And you are needed. You are loved. And your loss will do immeasurable damage it is it is not at all the case that you are doing more damage to us by being around that you are more of a burden to us being around no matter how hard it possibly can get you have no idea how hard it's going to be for the people left behind um they're going to miss you so much and they're never going to be able to ask the question to you why why did you do that um i actually wrote a book about this back in in 2000 called 2013 called the little book of pain um which is about coming to terms with my dad's suicide uh and i did i did that within the context of my own depression and uh suicidal ideation um i had gotten to the point where i figured out where i was going to do it and how and um that led to a conversation with my therapist. Um, and she said, you know, has, has it ever occurred to you that your dad killed himself? Because that was not the narrative that I grew up with. The narrative that I grew up with was that it was an accident. It's like, it was, it was, it was not an accident. No one puts a bullet hole in the center of their head. When they work with guns their entire life, that doesn't, that doesn't happen accidentally. Um, and I had figured out, it's like, this is, it's, it's hard, it's hard to generalize about depression because I think everyone's experience of depression is different. Um, you you know more than about that than I, um, but I am curious about this because for me, Depression was like, it was like being a, a, a walking corpse, um, waking up hurt, um, being alive, just hurt. It just interaction with people hurt, just walking about doing my ordinary day, just every, everything it was, it was like everything was walking on, on um, a field of broken glass. And the thing that made suicide appealing was that it would stop. It's like, if this is the best my existence can possibly be, um, I don't want it anymore. I don't want to hurt anymore. And that question that my therapist asked was, was magical because it made me 
question the narrative, the family narrative. And it helped me start digging my way out of my own uh, suicidal um, ideation and out of slowly out of my depression to start exploring my dad's suicide through art. Um, the therapist I was working with used the, uh, the concept of the inner child. Um, she described it as when a traumatic event happens in someone's life and they're young, it's almost like a snapshot uh, gets taken of that kid, of me at you know age seven. And that kid gets sort of shocked into place. And I grow up, but I kind of grow up like he's a seed and I grow up around him, but he remains. Uh, and all of the pain that he experienced remains. Uh, all of the trauma that he's trying to deal with, the world he does not understand, all of that stuff remains. And so I started talking to this kid by drawing. It's like, okay, so what do you want to draw? What do you want me to draw? I started by actually by talking with him and boy, he can swear. Um, <laughs> he's got a mouth on him is what you're saying. Oh, boy, did yeah. He? Um, he was mad at me. He was furious at me because I abandoned him. And that's how, that's, that's how that part of me felt. It's just, you ignored me for decades. You ignored me. So I'm going to let you have it. And it was, it was weird to be in this space of having a conversation with myself that, that felt sometimes really vivid, but by translating it to art, it felt more normal. Um, it was easier for me to deal with the concept. Um, I could just say to the kid, all right, so just draw how you feel. Um, and it was a transformative experience art-wise because the drawings didn't have to matter. They were not client-specific. And that gave me a great leeway uh, to play with style, um, something that artists lose track of as they get more and more professional. Um, is the importance of bad drawings. It's, it's really, really, really important, I believe, to give yourself permission to draw like crap. Um, because when you choose to tap into that part of yourself that is not associated with professional skills, is not associated with your parental duties, your duties as an adult, it gives you a chance to go back to that little kid inside you that only drew because he wanted or she wanted, or they wanted to draw. That's it. They wanted to create. You set yourself free. And that also leaves room for feelings to come out. I have to stop here at this point and ask, have I just like driven us off into the desert? Not absolutely at all. Not. Um, okay. So, I mean, I mean, absolutely not. Um, you just okay. even Good. starting with your story of of thinking of your dad as the military. I mean, that from my mindset of that, you know, I, given my job and what I do, uh, I'm used to the people who didn't say anything because it meant they would no longer be in the military. 
and I am used to the coworkers that, and I, I'm, I'm guilty of this myself that are going to, you know, not admit to it because as you said, um, people would know, right. You know, like this is me calling in sick when I was at a miserable job, uh, at a different place than I am now. And, you know, just calling in sick because that would be seen as acceptable, you know, like giving vague symptoms of just sinus issues or whatever is going on is acceptable. Um, when, when what I needed was a day off, um, because it wasn't talked about. And I, I, I will say that within the field, it's becoming more acceptable. I don't think we're there yet um, at all. I mean, definitely not at all. Um, to think is you're kind of saying to, I just think of this idea of the, the creativity piece and where that gets, you know, the directions that that can take, the directions that actually dealing with this can take when it comes to art or creative outlets. Um, God, that can go a lot of different ways. You know, you mentioned that this with your, 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 the inner child piece, and that's, I've, that's a direction it could have gone, right? I mean, mm-hmm. I think of the times when this cast has had to take hiatus, and we've been very open about it, Alex and I both. You know, we've, we've had to take breaks because I, we can't do it. Um, yeah. I mean, and, and that's a thing that, we early on we kind of talked about a little bit that was a part of the cast but as as we've gone because we're we're a little over three years now of this of this cast and having these conversations is very important and this is something that is very important to Hobbs and I as as we've gone this has become a central tenet of this podcast is to have these conversations not every episode is going to have them but that our podcast is a place where we have these conversations because they're important to have it's it's just i'm i'm fortunate that i work in an office job but my my company is becoming a lot more open to talk about things like this in fact this year for the first time we actually did stuff in may for mental health awareness month they had some panels talking about some of this stuff and and we had they had a panel where the um uh, lgbtq uh employee group uh, worked with the kind of veterans uh, employee group to have a talk about uh, suicidal ideation and the you know and, and so I, i'm fortunate that in my workplace this is a thing that we are starting to talk about more and make a space to talk about more but that's why it's so important for me to be part of a creative outlet like this where we're trying to do the same thing here and create that space i mean it's interesting because you talked about like the the going back to your art in some ways um this was how we've chosen as a way for us to keep engagement with the game. Um, you know, being able to find the stories that wizard has put in that kind of speak to some of these mental health aspects, even suicide. I mean, we've, we've talked about it. We just got out of suicide awareness month where we were visited a, a, a planeswalker Gideon um, who definitely was maybe more on the passive side, but was willing to put himself in the way of danger because you know, Nicol Bolas flat out teases him or just basically calls him out and is like, you don't really care if you live or die. Um, yeah, that was I, in one of the stories. If if you were familiar, yeah. like that's literally one of the villains like taunts this guy and says, you know, I'd kill you, but I don't think you'd mind it. So yeah, you know, basically you like, oh, man. yeah, like, I mean, you can like, leave and live or stay and die. I don't really care. I don't really care. And he's like, but I don't think you really care either. I mean, basically. And And um, the the hero had to like, Gideon had to confront himself a little bit in that moment. Yeah. 
Um, and so that's what, you know, when you think about it with the art, the story, the art, um, things like that, the character of Karn, um, you know, I think of the, I'm looking at your Vanguard art right now. Uh, there's some stuff to do with Karn that is, is actually, you know, kind of really is depressing. I mean, the whole Mirrodin thing we talk about is basically like that. You, you talked about that pain of doing anything that Karn basically walks away from stuff because he just like cannot yeah. deal with doing anything in our, like, in our first episode about caring. Yeah. We, we talked about Karn and, and it literally calls out and Karn was depressed in this point because of these things that there was a point in time where he's like out in his own plane. He's on his own world, like out looking on the, the multiverse, trying to find something just to see what's going on. And everywhere he's just seeing the bad stuff. And we kind of talked about that in our episode. I'm like, that's, that's a thing that happens for, for some folk. I know myself, I, I, there's times where there's these filters where I'm not seeing the good things. All I'm seeing are the bad. I'm like, this is right in the story for this character. Yeah. And right on for them incorporating that kind of stuff, taking the being willing um, to go outside of the, the um, tropes of science fiction and fantasy and humanizing these characters. Um, I, I, again, I think that's an a really important thing about genre fiction that um, maybe maybe gets downplayed. I can't speak to it um, directly because I'm not fully involved in all all aspects of the of the community. But um, you know, women and bustiers and and wizards firing magic missiles and dragons. It's like okay, that's that's fun escapism, but. If you can write a story that resonates with the reader such that they start thinking in different ways about themselves uh, and whatever part of their journey they're on, that's a um, that's a, an example of a really successful work. Um, I something else that I do want to throw out. This is just a little bit catty of me, um, but I think. One of the great benefits of COVID is that a whole lot of people are suddenly discovering what anxiety feels like. Um, I, you know, I, I, I do not mean to diminish anyone's experience, but for people who experience anxiety, it can be very difficult to express, to help people understand what an anxiety attack feels like what it is like to feel anxious leaving your house or, you know, I don't know, feeling like you're going to be in trouble if you make the wrong choice of which cashier you pick trying to get out of a grocery store. You know, it, it has helped in many ways, I think, that can be used maybe as a, a way of helping people understand mental illness to, to help have them... Um, to, to let them know, okay, that, that anxiety you experienced, multiply it by 10 and make it every day. And that is what it is like for somebody who experiences intense anxiety. This all-pervading low-level fear that you've got, ratchet it up to, to about 10 and make it an all-day thing. That's what it's like for someone who is experiencing anxiety. Um, analogs. I feel like they're really important as far as mental health is concerned 
and you know, I think that this is, you know, giving a little bit more room too for uh, some of the language piece. You know, I'm, I was, as we're sitting here talking, you know, looking at some of the posts that you've made in the past, um, like on, on, you know, from the little book of pain, looking at words like we've talked about on the show, like schizo or being like, oh, I'm so OCD and just not necessarily realizing the impact of that, you know, um, like, oh, I, I like to be organized. That that must be an OCD thing versus what what actually is debilitating about these things. We, you know, yeah, um, yeah. Do you need to clean your bathroom twelve times and and make sure every window is locked in your house five times before you can walk out the front door? Right. Can you, is, yeah, yeah. Is yeah. that what's happening? Okay, no, then you're not OCD. Right. Um, and it doesn't mean that. Yeah, yeah. But it's just it's that minimization piece of language. Yeah. Oh, schizo is one of my favorites because I I have a I had a close friend when I was growing up who um, had schizoaffective disorder, and it was it was terrifying for his family, and it was debilitating and humiliating for him. Um, you know it when you experience a psychotic break. Um, or no, I, I'm using the wrong pronouns. When he experienced a psychotic break and then they found meds that would bring him down, he suddenly had to confront these things that he had done and said that was, it's like he had vague memories of doing some of these things, but it was literally like some, that's me? That was, I did that? Why would I do that? And, oh man, it's, it is no wonder that people who struggle with um, schizophrenia so often end on the, end up on the street. We don't we don't provide a whole lot of resources in this country to help somebody who can have such a, a profoundly um, painful and difficult interaction with reality, whatever yeah. that is. Yeah, I mean, yeah, whatever reality is. Um, sorry, I mean, what's what's interesting because even psychosis, schizophrenia these these are topics that you know we're of you know ones that we've done pieces on that we want to do a full because it's actually it, it. What's interesting is that is actually my that's that is the main area that I that I actually work in. So oh, okay, um, so yeah, the, you know, so that I have a real personal stake in in the language associated with that, but also just kind of the the stigma, even, you know, we got stigma around everything. The stigma with psychosis, just to me, I mean, I, I'm biased because it's what I work in day in, day out, but oh, yeah. And MPA, right? So you're working with people who, in many cases, have run out of resources. And yeah. you're, their, you're their last line of defense before the street. I mean, yeah. I, I mean, I, I always say I, I am in the benefit of working for, this is where there is a benefit to working for a VA. Um, we do have some resources that people may not know about when it comes to things like psychosis. You know, this is very far afield from where we started this conversation. Um, but it is something I've always wanted to kind of, you know, that, that I have mentioned on this in this show before is it's kind of funny. The VA is basically um, the U.S.'s answer to socialized medicine. And when it comes to things like schizophrenia, um, schizoaffective, bipolar, some of what we call the, you know, the, the serious mental illness. Uh, that that's that's a good thing um, because there are 
there are there is hope. There is there are treatments, there are options, there are resources that are available that are available because we're basically socialized medicine because they're not profitable. Um, they they're intensive. They they would not be paid for by a insurance company. Um, so I kind of laugh. I mean, I, I I do joke that the VA is basically socialism, and sure. I'd love for more people to realize that. <laughs> yeah, I mean, social security is socialism too. It's amazing how many people don't get that. You know, here's a system that you pay into, and the next generation or, or generation before gets to to benefit from that, and then the generation ahead of you will do the same. Uh, because at a certain point you will be too infirm to be able to do any kind of meaningful kind of work. And I don't mean meaningful in the sense of fulfilling, but paychecks so you can eat. Um, we, we have a very black and white version of what it means to be useful to society in, in, in um, conversations around the, the, the country and even the world. Um, and I mean, I feel like it's worth throwing out there a lot of people who are crazy creative, amazing human beings also struggle with, in some cases, crippling, debilitating mental illness. There is some sort of cruel joke that often pairs great creativity with, with significant mental illness. And if these people don't have some kind of support they can't contribute to society and the society in this case ours loses out if we don't get that music if we don't get that writing if we don't get that photography if we don't get those plays those movies our society suffers uh, it's a, it's just a it's a different way of looking at value than money um and i feel really strongly on this subject um because consider where considering where you work, um, you know, I, I have some experience with VA hospitals because of my brother. And if they were not there, uh, I don't know that my brother would be alive today. If it weren't for VA doctors, I don't know that he would be alive today. Yeah, there's another downer I brought in. Merry Christmas, everybody. Uh, I mean, I know I, yeah, this, this, I think is our, our typical, um, behavior to then like almost, I want to be silly about it because it is that serious, but it's also, that's the whole point is we're talking about it. Yep. Yep. And there's, there has to be room for humor in here because it is so, it is such a serious and painful, um, subject that you gotta be able to you got to be able to risk some humor in there just to relax the tension so it can build back up again. You know, there's, there's a limit. To Don't worry. We'll, we'll return you all to feeling uncomfortable in a couple of minutes. We just have oh, to have a little, have a little reprieve. We need a little bit. I'm good. I can do it. Lay it on me. <laughs> I mean, so I, I, I mean, I'm thinking, you know, you've alluded a little bit to this kind of topic. Um, You know, I kind of, in our discord, we were kind of putting out the question of, you know, we were going to be meeting with you. And one of the questions was asking if depressions changed or led to any development in your style of art. Um, and I mean, I guess in this way, we're even talking about, it sounds like this may have been a very long standing thing. And 
maybe even, I don't know. I, I'm just going to throw it out as that question and then just let you take it. <laughs> um, you know, I, one of the, the characteristics of, of my mind, of my mental illness is my mind never shuts up. Um, my mind is a really, really noisy place at this moment. I got a song playing through my head. Um, it's a, it's an unwanted inner soundtrack that I cannot turn off. And often in conversations like this, it's a subject matter that's really important to me. So it's easier for me to screen out the background noise, but often, um, if I'm trying to concentrate in a situation where I'm maybe not as suited to like mathematics, I'll have a couple other voices come in and they're not, I'm not talking about voices that are, uh, saying everyone says you smell and, you know, or I am God and we need to have a discussion because there really are people who need to die. Um, there are voices that are echoes of previous conversations. They are echoes of previous conflicts that I've had with people, situations where I believe I have humiliated myself or I've made some terrible mistake that's offended somebody. And it's replaying in my head as I am trying to talk to somebody. So one of the ways that I dulled that noise when I wasn't working is I was I would work on my own projects. And you know, again, ADHD, I'm awesome at starting things and I can create worlds really easily. That's kind of how I survived childhood is by living in my head. And I'm really good at it. Um, as one of my uh, therapists said to me, you have a really hypertrophied anime, uh, imagination. And I was like, that's an awesome word, hypertrophied, you know, opposite of atrophied. Um, it was of great benefit to me until I really started facing my mental illness, um, accepting that it was having a significant impact on my life my ability to work, um, my ability to interact with friends, to even have friends, uh, maintain relationships. It wasn't until I started having a conversation with that little kid and just letting him draw whatever I wanted that my art really went through a transformation. Um, it, again, going back for a step, it, it was transformative to let the little seven-year-old kid draw and not care, not sit there and go, that's not what an arm looks like. That's not how you shade uh, an object that's by being hit by two light sources. You know, it's none of that. I, I didn't let any of that interfere. And suddenly really weird and wonderful and dark and funny art started coming out. I would say that, yes, having done that, um, in one way or another, I've continued to do it ever since. I, I have gone long stretches where I haven't done personal therapy, like therapy art. But when I look at some of the projects that I'm working on now, like um, one of the projects we can talk about um, eventually is I've got a novel I'm working on. Um, mental, mental illness is, it's not... Um, a direct feature of the novel necessarily, but it reflects a lot of my experiences of mental illness of, of handling depression and of, of um, being, 
being around someone with bipolar disorder uh, and issues of suicide and all that kind of stuff. So very long-winded uh, way of answering someone with uh, a yes. But <laughs> cool. I mean, we like we like long-winded and you know conversation and details. At least tangents. at least two tangents. Um, good. Endings that don't really end. We are kind of Monty Python would have been goblins, and we're okay with that because <laughs> we sometimes we're the worst at transitions. Um, so that's perfect, uh, and we've definitely have had episodes where we've taken like three callbacks to figure out where we had started the conversation. Um, yeah. <laughs> which oh, yeah. is usually the mark to me of a good conversation. I would agree. Yeah. Yep, I would agree. But I mean, you were, you I mean, you kind of say this. So you mentioned novel. I mean, is in, is it just written? Is there a, is there a visual medium to it or? There is a it? visual, there is a visual component to it, um, which is a, a, a whole range of, of personal art that I've, I'm developing that is, is a, it is a weird um, synthesis of um, my, my art therapy and, um, more commercial looking work. It's like I'm, I'm, I'm turning, God, what's a good example, analogy. I'm saying to the little kid, sit in my lap and we will drive this formula one race car. Um, and I'm kind of going to let you drive it. Even though I, sh even though you can't, I will, you know, you tell me what you want me to do and I'll, I'll tell you where I'll, I'll help make sure the car gets there. Um, I'm creating a, a, a range of art that will go with the novel that, um, does go in some in some very dark places. And the novel itself is a prose; it's a work of of, uh, of uh, fiction. It's prose, and it's in, in broad brush terms, it's a love letter to um, the authors that fired my imagination when I was a kid: um, H.P. Lovecraft and uh, Lord Dunsany, who uh, and M.R. James. Um, whole range of the, the the early crazy fantasists um, from that era, the folks that followed Edgar Allan Poe, uh, specifically Dreamlands, uh, the idea of what it would be like to go into a world, enter a world that is, is semi-material, um, made up not of a, a mechanical biology but a dream biology if that makes any sense um the, the general thrust of the novels it's uh, from the edwardian era and it's what would happen if if uh, one of those great expeditions they used to have in the victorian and edwardian era you know, we're going to go and find find lake victoria um what it would be like if if a group of people embarked on an, an expedition like that through a dimensional portal. Wow. Um, only their concept of where they're going is totally different from the reality of where they're headed. They think everything's safe. Uh, they think everything's, this is this wonderful, strange, magical world. And they are, uh, they're on the pathway that monsters follow from hell to uh, the material world. And the art component is going to be, so I mean, is it, is it going to be like separate from it or is it just going to be kind of in, interspersed like pieces that you're doing 
I've, I've done a huge amount of concept work. Um, so the ideal for me, the ideal situation would be hardback version of the book with a, a, a book that goes with it. That is all mm-hmm. concept art. Yep. Um, but I'm approaching it, um, in a way, I'm heavily informed by uh, um, the approach of a Swiss, uh, Swiss, my apologies, Simon, uh, a Swedish artist named uh, Simon Stalenhag. Um, he wrote a book called The Electric State, uh, Tales from the Flood. Um, actually, uh, um, uh, Tales or Things from the Flood and Tales from the Loop. Tales from the Loop was turned into a series on Amazon Prime. The thing that I love about his books is they are little snippets of human experience with paintings that are not um, traditionally illustrative. They're a scene out of a version of 1980s Sweden that never was. And you'll have people interspersed in there, but none of his people are in your face. So you you don't see clear renderings of faces you see kids in outfits, you know, like like uh, um, Wellington boots and, and, and rain jackets, um, and you see them from the back, or you see them jumping over puddles. You you are given a chance to kind of put yourself into the artwork um, in a way that I don't generally see in illustrative books, and that's the approach that I'm taking. It's going to be artwork that is is um, it seems to be kind of coming out kind of darkly allegorical uh so some of the art will uh, it will directly connect with the subject matter of the book and some of it will just kind of be what it would be like if you stopped along this journey and looked in the left window instead of the right one i'm really excited to yeah this is oh believe me i am holding back (sighs) i'm holding back so hard I mean, what is I'm hearing it, is when, when, once you actually get to this point, you'll just have to come back. Okay. I mean, <laughs> I will, I'll take that on. Yes. Please. Yeah. Because I, this conversation has just been fantastic. I have to thank you so much because, you know, uh, we sent you show notes. They're mm-hmm. fairly sparse that we like to, we, we're people that tend to do better with kind of letting the conversation develop, um, which I think it has. Um, and because of that, we don't know where it's going to always go. Um, you and you know, you and I have talked a little bit beforehand, but I just knew basically this was something that seemed like it was a good fit. Um, and I just want to thank you for, like you said, even even just asking at some point, like, did I just pull us so far afield? When to me, I'm like, wow, I'm just sitting here thankful that we have a guest willing to go there with us. Oh, when you wrote me and told me what your job was. The first thing my mind did was go back to the experience of my early twenties and thirties um, and forties. This is, there's been this long block of time where um, we've been working with my brother and like that, the, the, the first time that he had a psychotic break, he ended up at Letterman. Um, the VA hospital that used to be on the Presidio. And so we spent Christmas at the Presidio. Um, we got put in one of the barracks and we ate with everybody, um, with my brother and everybody else in the VA hospital. And that 
that winter made a really powerful impression on me. And one of the things that was most powerful about it was seeing the compassion and care um, with which they were being treated. The pe these people who in many cases had been abandoned by their families. Um, and that, that, that stuck with me ever since. So when you wrote me and said, that was your job, it's like, I want to get to know this guy more. Uh, I want to get to know him better. Um, because it's cool that we, we are, we, we have this connection with magic, but you are doing some of the absolute most important work there is out there. You are saving souls. Um, and I, I don't mean that in a, a, a flippant way at all. I feel like, you know, I think of a soul as a human being and you were helping people get back on their feet and get out there. And I'm really grateful, Alex, that you're on this program too, because you are, um, talking about your own experience, you're bringing it from the the standpoint of the person experiencing this on a day-to-day -day basis in your world. Hobbs, the same thing with you. We both, uh, I think all three of us share um, struggles with depression. So when I found out then that you had a program that talked about mental illness, it's like, oh my God, can I get on it? Because I want to talk to these guys about it. I really want to talk about this. Because it doesn't, you know, especially in the professional world, it is still something you just don't talk about much. You you um, you do run a risk of of um, I don't know exactly what to put it. You 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 can um, damage your career by being open about um, mental illness, but it's a catch twenty two because. If you aren't open about your struggles, um, you that will impact your professional life as well. So, thank you so much for having this program and hosting people, giving them a chance to talk about their experiences. Yeah, and thank you so much for coming on. Like, it's talk about my myself when I first started going through. I think the the two most most helpful, most important things for me was first talking about my experiences and the second was listening to other people talk about theirs. And so it's really important for us to have other folk like yourself come on and, and share your experiences and be able to kind of be part of that. So we really appreciate that. And to me, driving, driving home that point that you, you made earlier about without this, without this, possibility we've talked a lot about the gathering portion the fact that the game is magic the gathering um this wouldn't this conversation wouldn't have been possible right i mean the synchronicity of just the, the way the world works the fact that artists and players and cosplayers and writers and everybody interacts and forms these these bonds to approach you know, to feel comfortable to be able to have a conversation like this with a person who designed game pieces and art for, you know, something that has gotten, you know, a lot of us through very, very difficult, tough times, as you kind of mentioned. I mean, I did the John Avon story of a, a person approaching with a piece of art mentioning their father's death. I mean, these are things that are only possible in something like magic and something like this game and just it just continues to amaze me to see these these relationships that can be the found and as you said that you get to have that relational aspect that isn't just 
fully transactional. Yep. Yep. And there's, there's a, there's something that I talked about um, before we were on air that I'm going to just go ahead and throw it out because I feel like it's important for fans to hear. Um, artwork, creating a work of art is, um, it's not a single, it's not, it's not a, a, a single vector, right? You create a work of art, you put it out there in the world and now it's, it's not mine, it's ours. Magic really, to me, underscores the truth of that because players go out there, they play the game, they have a ton of fun, but they get a, a, a real experience from, from the artwork as well. They get um, real feelings associated with part of their, their actual lives. They come back to us and they want a card signed because they love this card, but they also love the art on it. And they also then tell me an experience that they have had that is associated with the art. The, the, the art on the card, we now have a dynamic between us that um, artists rarely get to experience. Uh, and that helps us create more art. And it, it makes us feel like we're at the risk of, of sounding, um, maybe not sounding, I don't know what the right way to put this is, but it, it makes us feel useful. We put it that way. Did you have an impact? I know no, I can say a little bit my, myself with the, the podcast. I, I get a little bit of that when, when we have some interactions, some fans, you know, will let us know that listening to the podcast is, you know, even just a, it's something I can put on on the way to work. It's something put on in the morning and it, you know, gets my day started. Even something as small as that is still like, okay, then this, this thing where in some ways it's it's like Hobbs and I just it's an excuse for the two friends to get together and chat and hang out. But it's nice to feel like we're putting something more than that out there and that people are getting something out of it. Oh, yeah, I would I would very much expect this to be um, something that resonates with a great many people in the creative community, people who love games um, of all sorts, people who love fiction of all sorts because um, people with vivid imaginations um, that imagination can sometimes be used uh, by the mind for nefarious purposes uh, and it is really good to hear conversations with people who both have experienced maybe what the listener has but also someone who's like Hobbes brings in um, a, a different component that can can bring in a lot of hope, which is your experience as a, a psychologist being able to talk about um, things one can do um, to better one's circumstances, um, to make life a little easier to live, and what a you know what a cool way to be able to connect with people and and do good. Yeah, it's like I, I often talk about in my life, I never would have thought five, 10 years ago that professionally I would be f marrying these two things together. Yeah. And what a, what a yeah, gem. It is. It's amazing. It's beautiful. And just thank you so much for coming on. Oh, my pleasure. My pleasure. Are we, are we going to wind this up here? And that's our show for today. You can find the host on Twitter. Hobbs Q can be found at Hobbs Q. And Alex Newman can be found at Mel underscore Comic Corner. 
Send any questions, comments, thoughts, hopes, and dreams to at GoblinLorePod on Twitter or email us at GoblinLorePodcast at gmail.com. If you want to support your friendly neighborhood gobsmugs, the cast can be found at patreon.com slash GoblinLorePod. Opening and closing music by Vindergotten, who can be found on Twitter at Vindergotten or online at vindergotten.bandcamp.com. Logo art by Steven Raphael, who can be found on Twitter at Steve Raphael. Goblin Lore is proud to be presented by Tipsters of the Coast as part of their growing Vorthos content, as well as magic content of all kinds. Check them out on Twitter at HipstersMTG or online at HipstersOfTheCoast.com. Thank you all for listening, and remember, goblins, like snowflakes, are only dangerous in numbers. <laughs>